DJ and PK brought to you by Master Electrical Services. Master Electrical will light up your day. Give us a call at 801-543-2222. We'll be right on our way. That's 801-543-2222. I was a concert last night. All right. Rock legend Robert Plant. Yeah, it's fine. Place packed. Uh, I was third row from the top, so it's tiered. You can't really see down below, so I don't know. We are in the middle of a bye week now, and we got Joe Ingles' birthday, and mediocrity is imminent. We have multiple topics on the table here. And Jeju said that about BYU yesterday, mediocrity is imminent, and I was thinking about that. Is that true? Do you really believe, as far as the Cougars, mediocrity is imminent? 855-340-ZONE. Because what is mediocrity? You have to define that first. Six and six. Is eight and four mediocre too? I don't think eight and good? four is eight mediocre. Eight and four feels good, doesn't it? Right. Seven I mean, and five. You know, it's not great. You're not lighting the world up on fire. But when you look at it, mediocrity extends to, you know, if you want to go seven and five. But you look at it in the South, for instance. In the Pac-12, I'm speaking of. And there are only two teams that got bowl eligible last year. That's it. That's it. And what was? One was 9-3, and three, one was 7-5. and five, And the others were below that, obviously. Below 6-6. Six and six. So, if the Cougars have mediocrity imminent... Doesn't that just place them in with what the majority of the teams are? See, I think I would extend it to eight and four, depending on who you are. Extend and what? what? Kind of the the mediocrity to eight and four. Really? Well, you win two thirds of your games, and if you schedule, I mean, you, if you have, if you're in an eight team league, I guess not here because you're in, you got a nine game conference schedule. But if you're five and four in the Pac-12 and you schedule yourself three wins, do you feel like a good team? Well, if you can totally Alabama's control playing three. Western Carolina. Yeah, I got it. And I was about so, to say, I was about to say for the eight team, which is ACC and SEC, so we're not really living and dying with that. Mountain stuff West, here. but uh, the Mountain West, but they usually do it to schedule up for two games. So I don't feel like they set themselves up. And maybe I should look at somebody's schedule. Does somebody set themselves up for four easy wins? Don't know. Yeah, I think if you're trying to go home and home with Pac-12 or Big 12 schools, which I think a lot of them are, then they're not trying to set themselves up. I mean, what is mediocrity? What are most of these teams? I think actually the majority, if not the overwhelming majority, then mediocrity is imminent. I mean, most of the teams in the Pac-12 were mediocre. Five and four or four and five in the league? It sounds so condemning to BYU. Why aren't you great? But how much of that and how many of those are in that same category and swimming in the same pool? Well, by definition, there can't be that many who are great. Well, why not? (laughs) There should be... Well, because they're all playing each other. Well, then then, then half of them should be. A third suck, a third mediocre, a third really good. Yeah, well, I, 
I think there could be more than that. I beat you, you beat me, and she beats us, and we beat them, and that's a, that's what you end up having. Well, you, yeah, you, we've already we've already had it this year, right? Well, Utah you, you beats Utah you, beat BYU, BYU, BYU beat USC, yeah. and then USC beat Utah. Right. So then that that's all three of all, you are mediocre, right? None of you are excellent. Nobody could sweep the others, right? Aren't most teams imminently mediocre in the NBA? We'll have teams this year who probably will be scrapping to be 500 and will get in the postseason. They're imminently mediocre. If you're going to let in 16 to 30, yeah. by definition, you got to let in teams 15 and 16 in the middle and, of the league. And the Jazz, were they really that good last year? Because we heard for the first six months of the schedule it's too tough it's too tough it's too tough well then when the schedule gets easier so then basically the, all the people who kept telling us the schedule the schedule the schedule you and then the, when it turned yeah yeah you beat the bad teams you lost the good teams. that makes you imminently mediocre no matter how many wins you had you we had all these guys telling us the schedule is so hard well, and what they were saying is, you're not good enough to beat those teams. Wait till the schedule turns easier, and then you're going to. So you're right in the middle. You're dead center, right in the middle. What we all dream of being on the tee, right down the middle. Except they weren't. They had the eighth best record in the league, but they were in the middle of the playoff race. Yeah, but see that. So the assumption is those teams are lousy. Don't they don't count? And you're in the middle of the teams that do count. So you're mediocre. Mediocre then has a as a flexible barrier. Right. So, yeah, you, they, you spent all that time telling us it was at least two months that the schedule, the schedule, the it schedule. Was, it, was, it was November and December, and it turned the first of the year. So then yeah. all that was is they just spent a good portion beating up on a bunch of average teams. And if you could only beat average teams, what are you? A little better than average because you're beating the average. So if you're flexible with that mediocre barrier, you're at the top of mediocrity. Rather than at the bottom of mediocrity. Because the Warriors define greatness and really only. And you go out in the, the first round, only the four Raptors. To one. The Raptors and the Rockets are the only That teams, seems pretty right. mediocre to me. Well, hence why they made all, made these, all these changes. changes right. And Dennis said at the podium Mondays, three straight years with the Warriors and the Rockets. Yeah. You know, that, that tells that us. That tells Yeah, I mean, the, the, the certain folks don't want to say that they're mediocre because that sounds bad and you might hurt the brand. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm employed to speak what I think. And now I expect them to be better than mediocre. I guess under the flexible mediocre definition that what happens with teams, and this is college and pro, is that you always expect a fan base, but probably players, coaches, and management too, expect improvement. And so for the Jazz, you know, the schedule's too tough. That's against the backdrop of we don't want to be in the 4-5 series again. And yet, there they were for the third straight year in the 4-5 series. So it wasn't so much we're mediocre as defined by 41-41, and 41, or in college football case, 6-6. Six and six. It was more we're on the same treadmill, we're going to the same point. We're going to play a series or two, we're going to hit the Rockets or the Warriors, and we're not going to be good. Well, running in place really describes mediocre to me. <laughs> I don't know about you. I mean, I, I'm harsher. I get that. I'm not interested in being popular here. So, to me, if you're running in place, as you use your treadmill analogy, yep. you're mediocre. 
That doesn't mean you don't try to get better because you always try to get better. And we take the Jazz situation. We all think they're going to be better. I certainly think they're going to be better than mediocre this year. They were aggressive and made a bunch of changes that we all love. See how it plays out on the floor. But I'm expecting far better results. And I'm not expecting them to be mediocre. I'm expecting them to contend. That's great. And and plus, being mediocre isn't necessarily a bad foundation. You got to start somewhere. In order to get better, get better from what? Get better from less than mediocre? Or would you prefer to get better from mediocre? I'd prefer to get better from mediocre rather than less than mediocre because you just told me a third of the teams are less than mediocre. Yep. So it seems to me you're better off. Diamondbacks trying to win it all in the next few years. Well, they won 85 games. So how That's do you not get, a bad start. It's not. How do you get to 90? Yeah. And I, I'd, rather, I'd rather be trying to get to 90 off 85 wins like the Diamondbacks than 70 like the Padres. They were mediocre for most of the season. And then at the end, they won like five or six games in a row. And so it inflates it a little bit. And they end up with 85 wins. Four games out of the after, potential play. After dancing within two games of 500 for weeks and weeks. Uh, months. Months. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, I think they won five in a row at the end and like eight out of nine or something. But in my mind, that's a good starting point. Does BYU have a good starting point or are they just do? Well, see, that's the funny thing is the Jay didn't drop that phrase last year when they were six and six, seven and six with a bowl game. But coming off four and nine, that's an improvement. You're up three games. Now it looks like they're headed for six or seven wins again. And so he says mediocrity is imminent. Mediocrity felt good last year because you're not bad. 4-9 was bad. That was a bad year. Right from the get-go, the first win over Portland State was like, uh-oh, 20-6 to over those guys? Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. So to your point, yeah, mediocrity is good. When you've been bad, you feel like you're on the way to somewhere. Okay, and so are they on the way to somewhere? It feels like they're on the way back to six or seven Or wins. they're on the road to Busville. Bada bang, I see what you did there, bringing back the classics. <laughs> and so it comes back to you feel mediocre when you feel like you're doing the same thing you've done before. Now for the Jazz, that's the 4-5 series, which out of 15 teams, fifth is, uh, you know, you're in the top third. Barely! Literally by a game, I think, last year, because somebody was sitting on 49, I don't know who it was, but there were teams on 48 and 49 wins last year. So I don't know that you're that much better, but you are. Game or two better over 82. Better being a game or two worse. But you're, you're barely out of the middle third of the conference. Like you said, why'd they make all those changes? Why'd they move so many guys? Break up guys who loved going to dinner together and were good guys and were popular and fans liked him. Paid to see him because they wanted to do better than fifth. They were mediocre. Yeah. Got to gear it up. We need another level. Uh, I and think, that's what I think Jay's fifth place is mediocre. It. Under the theory of third suck, third mediocre, third good or great. You're in the top third, five out of 15, barely, by a game. Yeah, I don't know that it has to necessarily be evenly divided. It It is, and I think the thing is that in the West the last couple years, the Warriors and the Rockets have looked like, man, those guys are really good, and we're not in their class. Right, so you You didn't divide it evenly. Right. I mean, you can just throw the numbers out there, one through five, but when two teams have pulled away... Everybody else is kind of like, well, how do we get up with those guys? Right. Well, you go get shooters. You go get Bogdanovich. You go Better get players. Conley. 
All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to talk a little college football with Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst, joins us every week right here with DJ and PK on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, and he's on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Riley, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you guys this morning. Yeah, but you'd rather be here after a win over Toledo than after a loss over Toledo because, you know, you could hear in your voice like, now they're going to ask me what went wrong. Man, I hate this. Winning's more fun than losing. <laughs> yeah, that, hey, that is true. I'm not going to deny that. But I was, I was listening to the lead-in on the radio um, about, you know, 4-8 and eight against – or 7-6 seven, seven and six last year looks good against the backdrop of 4-8. and eight. There, There's a – there's an element in here that uh, I think is at least worth some consideration, and that's that when, when you're in a conference, or, or you were just talking about the Jazz, right, making yeah. within divisions and a conference and things like that, you get an even distribution. In other words, you're going to end up in conference play with teams that win zero or none games, teams that win two or three, teams that go about 500, you know, and, and you, you end up every year with an even distribution of that. The challenge with independence is that that distribution is out the window. It's really because it's just a collection of individual programs. It's anybody's guess how strong or how good that program is. So, well, you know, another six or seven weeks on paper, just by looking at the amount of wins looks flat from 2018 to 2019, I think there's a valid argument to be made that it's, that it's actually a step forward, that the same record – because the distribution of teams, and if we objectively look at the strength of this schedule and the strength and the way that this schedule came together, it's significantly harder than last year. So six or seven wins this year is actually a marginal step forward against last year. What do you guys think? Yeah, well, that's, it th- that, they've got to get there first. Uh, you know, they're not there yet, obviously. Yeah, and, no question. And if they had, I'd feel a lot better about what you're saying if they were three and two rather than two and three, and then you put in the backdrop of now another freshman quarterback, uh, similar to last year when the schedule turned what we perceived as softer and probably analytically softer too. They put in the freshman Wilson, and he had fair success, and obviously he finished strong in the bowl game against a team that they were better than. What does Jaron Hall do? I look at it, and I could see what you're saying. To me, is the program progressing? Because you really don't want to get caught up, and it's hard to do this, I grant you, get caught up individually on any game, one game, and go nuts either way, you know, because they beat SC. Well, extend Kalani, and I did it too. I'm, I'm, I'm criticizing myself. Let's, the program is going in the right direction. All the fans were fired up, blah, blah, blah. It's the greatest moment they've had since they've been independent, basically, or at least in a few years. And so the program is now headed in the right direction. And then you come back a couple of weeks later and you lose to Toledo. Oh, my gosh, man, what are they doing? This program is going down the tubes. So you get caught up in this roller coaster of emotion. You try to step back, Riley, and you say to yourself, is the program going in the right direction? I'm, I'm more shaky than I was this time last week, but I still think it's going in a better direction than it has been the last couple of years. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would say one thing that might help – help not get caught on looking at individual games and let me just uh, basically all i have to say on the toledo game is this is that this team every every game every win or loss is on the spectrum of on the far end you you dominate it 
and you win soundly, or on the other end, you get dominated and you lose and you, and you never had a chance. You were outmatched and outplayed. This BYU team, this is thus far in the season, and I don't expect this to change even as a schedule. They live in the middle where it's really your some lucky bounces went your, went your way and, and you were the benefactor of them and you ended up winning the game and then some unlucky bounces went against you and that was the difference in, in you losing. As you look at their two wins, they didn't dominate USC, they didn't dominate Tennessee. They kind of hung in there and, and the ball bounced away. Uh, you know, I, with the exception of Washington, which pretty much dominated BYU and, and of course Utah wasn't that close, but still you look at that game and and wish you wouldn't have given away the two defensive touchdowns. But in this Toledo game, it was that where a couple of unlucky bounces went went against them. Now, you could argue, you know, decisions and poor execution or, or some things like that, and, and those are valid. But the, but the reality is, over the course of a football game, that's happening with all 11 guys on every single play, and, and so it kind of washes out as your collective effort. So this BYU team, the fans should realize that, like, we live on that, on that knife's edge that basically every game is going to come down to did we make our own luck or did we or did you know some some bad bounces go against us and then as far as the program goes i think you have to look at other metrics i think competitiveness is a huge thing like as much as we want to win every game i'd much rather have a game, have every game come down to the fourth quarter and if we don't win some i i'm okay with that as long as because just getting your butt handed to you is that's hard to deal with for me. If we're competitive and we don't win everyone, I can still go and support and feel good about being a fan. And then you should look at other metrics. Like, I think, you know, are they continuing to produce NFL talent, I think, is a significant metric of, of which way the program is going. Um, I, I do think, you know, uh, some of the analytics and stats and where they measure, as long as they're in the upper third of the NCAA, I think that's a good good sign. And I realize they're, they're you know, they're delivering on some of those, and they're not delivering on others. But but that's where uh, I think the litmus test or the bar should be set. Riley Nelson, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I get your point on schedules because uh, I don't think all the independent schedules are created equal. Maybe I'd have to break it down. I think the last two years are relatively similar. I think next year is going to be significantly harder than this year. Um I guess one thing is I watched all of these five games, but it's really getting driven home here. Maybe because a couple of them, you know, we're so caught up in the ending of the game, you don't look at all the stuff as seriously that comes before it. But that was another team that ran for 200 yards on BYU. That's five games in now, and BYU's 118th against the run in the country. And it's going to be hard to be anything better than mediocre if teams can run the ball on you like that. It might take some serious effort by the other phases in the other phases of the game just to get to seven wins. If you're giving up that kind of yardage, what is the problem there? Yeah, that is a great question, and uh, I'd call out to anybody who has access to the film and can do this kind of analysis. Because unfortunately, I don't have time, but I would love to see their production when they're putting four guys with their hand on the ground a four-three versus a three-four. Because it seems to me. That the three four, you know, Kyrus Tong is a beast, and Lorenzo Fatale. They have those guys at nose tackle, and so that when if people are trying to run ISO schemes or straight downhill in the in the A gaps or even in the B gaps, right? They're running around the center guards or the guard center guards in, in that area. Teams have not had success, so they're not running straight at the teeth. But anytime they go B gap, so the guard tackle or off tackle or wider, there's there's significant trouble. 
here, and and uh, it's not so. There, but there's actually two aspects of this. One is the three four versus the four three. But then the second aspect is BYU prefers because guys like Chris Wilcox and Troy Warner, you know, are, are out, uh, and and they felt even coming into the season, and then it's been compounded by you know Zane Anderson's out as well. But guys in the second, they feel light in the secondary. So they always feel the need to keep two safeties back. So the problem with it is when you have a three-man front and you're keeping two safeties high, yeah, you've got the four backers in the intermediate, but the problem is they're, they're lined up four or five yards down the field, and as you run, it off at, you, know, you run a run play and you're releasing linemen downfield, that means they're not getting touched. First touch at four to five yards down the field, which means average gains of six, seven, eight yards, and and that's that. You're right. That is tough to live with because if, let's assume that happens on first down. Now you're living in second to short. Your entire playbook's open. Even if you fail there, you're in a third and manageable, and so your conversion rate on third down is really high. And and yeah, well, this this BYU uh, defensive philosophy seems to be one of the force team. You know, is bend don't break and force team to sustain drives. Well, the reality is they've been able to do that. Um, at, at a high enough clip that it's making it, you're right, it is putting immense pressure on the other phases of the game, on the offense and the defense uh, to produce. So uh, I I would like to see them, you know, get some four down front, get throw some, even some bear front, bears where you have, you know, the three down linemen covering up the guard center guard, then you have the two stand-up ends, and that it was made famous by the 1985 bears who were a beast against run, but they realized, like, if running is what everybody in the country would prefer to do because it takes the pressure off everybody else and it just makes it easy, you get in front of the sticks and it, and it makes life easy on the offense. So they have to find um, they have to find answers there. And I, I don't know that they have through the first five games, so I'd, I'd like to see them get creative and change it up a little bit as we head into this next slate. So... We know Jaron Hall is going to play in this next game. He's going to start, and it, decent timing with a bye week. From the coaching perspective, with several practices to go before the actual game, what would you be doing as a coach to get him as prepared as possible for the actual game? Yeah, the lucky – so during every bye week – college football teams do what's called a self-scout, where they go back and they look at every game they played thus far in the season, and they try and identify tendencies, not not only places where they're bad, but places where they're really good. And so you've got to be locked in and know exactly where you're really good and what what so where you've been really good with Wilson. And then you have to be really honest and truthful with, okay, what can Jared, what of that subset of offensive plays can Jared execute? Again, excuse me, execute at a high, high level. And then the second aspect is a little bit of a risk, but you have to spend a ton of time with him. You have to go back to all his reps in fall camp and see, all right, what did he execute at a high level that maybe Zach didn't feel as comfortable with or when Zach was in, we as an offense didn't have the right dynamics in place to execute. So the trick is not getting – the onus is not on Jaron so much. Now he has to prepare mentally and, you know, for the what he's going to face in South Florida and all those things. But the onus is not on him to become Zach Wilson as quickly as possible. The onus is more on the offensive staff to identify what he does well, what the offense does really well, and architect a game plan that gives him the highest chance for success. Because a kid in his first start, you can't expect him 
to come in and run the same as a kid in his 12th start. You have to make him feel comfortable on every play. And what I think that looks like, I think that looks like maybe a few more design quarterback runs. Um, I think it looks like a little bit more rollout play action, less less straight drop back at a shotgun. Hopefully, and this BYU team, the closest thing they've gotten under center is running pistol. So hopefully, they they have some kind of rollout, put the QB on the move game out of pistol. If not, I'd like to see him kind of under center. Um, and, and then putting, and then an aspect that Jaron Shorty did well in spring is you can put him out there with four and five wides, even empty sets. And because the defense is so spaced out, you give him kind of a one-two look, and if it's not there, you let him create with his legs and space. And I, if if I were the coordinator, that would be my that would be how I would be spending my bye week and the prep week going into South Florida. What did you think of the BYU running game with Tyson Williams hurt? How do you think they performed against Toledo, and how much help is that running game going to be to Hall as he tries to settle in? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I. So between uh, Lopini Catella and Emmanuel Supa, they got 16 carries over the whole game, and so I, I really the jury's still out because they didn't give a, they didn't get a big enough workload or a big enough sample size for me to really see how those how those guys performed, and I gotta believe that that's because you know BYU unfortunately they were playing from behind, so that's probably why they threw it, uh, and even when they were able to tie or even take the lead. I feel like their game plan going in is they felt like they had an advantage uh, with the passing game versus the Toledo secondary, so they kept throwing the ball down the field. So I, the jury's still out for me. I didn't get a good enough look at what this uh, at what this run game looks like, and I do think that, look, we talked about how BYU's inability on defense to be stout against the run makes it easier on other offenses. I think now the BYU offense has to make a commitment to the run game to make it easier on a freshman quarterback making his first start and at least commit commit to it for at least two and a half quarters and see what's going on there, you know, hoping and assuming that the game doesn't get out of hand in that time. But you have to commit to it, A, to see what you have, and B, it's your best chance at giving a freshman in his first start a chance to be successful. Everybody as an analyst, Riley, is looking for something that's going to set them apart. You can, you don't even have to thank me, but when he makes his first great pass or his second great pass, I'm giving you full authority to say that is a phenomenal haul pass. Get it, Riley? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I love it. Trademark PK. I'll throw that in there, too. He's also made a prediction that it's what the hallways because – the whole the way, way. The way you win at BYU, the last quarterback to beat Utah, Max Hall, now it's Jaron Hall. The hallway, Riley. And now, DJ, I got to ask you, is he recycling these from when Max is trying, you know, the hall pass and the hall No, way, no, or, this or, is all, this is, this is new material. PK puts a crowbar okay. in his wallet once a decade and pays a writer to come up with some new stuff. <laughs> you got to be on cutting edge. I have some classic tunes that I play, but in order to still fill the arenas, you've got to come out with some new stuff. So this is new stuff, Riley. These are new Probably. tunes. Oh, Judah, Judah, Judah! We'll make you get all the credit you deserve for this new material. Okay. <laughs> and you can pass it on to Rebel, too. 
Oh, all right, so, so that's cool. Greg will eat it up. You know, he's a, he's a fan of that kind of stuff. Oh, big time, yeah. <laughs> Puns. <laughs> Bring him on. All right, thank you, Riley. Yeah, have a good morning, guys. All right, Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst right there.